Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actors Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students, and I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. Welcome back to Hollywood Dreammaker. I am beyond excited to introduce my next guest. You know, there wouldn't be a Hollywood Dreammaker. There wouldn't be a Manhattan Actor Studio. There wouldn't be an actor, Billy Gallo, if it wasn't for my guest, David Proval. You may know him from his work in Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets opposite Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel, his work in Shawshank Redemption, his legendary performance in The Sopranos as Richie Aprile. David, I'm beyond excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Hollywood Dreammaker. Hollywood Dreammaker. I like that name. You know, I was always very skeptic about the word, follow your dreams and your dreams. And that ended with me. That ended with me because you're living proof of it. Uh, I'm living proof of it. It was a dream for both of us as little kids in Brooklyn. And uh, we fulfilled it to most part. So I want to I set this up a little bit. So, you know, you said little kids in Brooklyn. Well, yeah. here's the story. I was 11 years old. That's right. I was a little boy coming home from the park in Brooklyn. And I walked down my block and my block was just the commotion. There was, there was trucks and cameras <laughs> and Hollywood, Universal Pictures, came to my block on 40th street in Brooklyn. There was a bungalow down the street that you guys used as a, a, almost like a studio, all the interiors. were So literally a movie studio moved onto my block for a month during the summer. So here's me, a little boy runs down the street and I'm like, what's going on over here? And I ran up to Morgana King who played Marlon Brando's wife in the Godfather and I ran up to Morgan. I said, what's going on here? She says, we're making a movie. I go, well, how do you get in a movie? So she showed me a, a picture and a resume. I ran home, took a Polaroid picture myself, wrote some shit down on a piece of loose leaf paper, ran down the street. And I said, here's my picture and resume. She got a kick out of it. She gave it to the director. The director said, go home, kid. We're going to stick you in a movie. I ran home. Mom, Mom, they're going to stick me in a movie. Goes, you stay in the house. You don't know what kind of movie they're making down there. I ran down the street. I grabbed the director. I said, listen, my mother doesn't believe you. You got to tell her you're going to stick me in the movie. Dragged him to the house. He says, listen, we're Universal Pictures. You know, we're going to pay your son. My mother says, you're going to pay him? Take him. <laughs> so now they needed some kids to, you know, be background. The kids playing stickball in the streets, you know, just kind of neighborhood kids. And I got a little extra part in the film. But when I showed up to the set, there was a young actor by the name of Glenn Scarpelli in the film. And he had a speaking role. But, you know, me and him looked exactly alike back to when we were 11. And when I showed up to the set, 
he wasn't working that day. So everybody thought I was him. So they gave me the star treatment. They gave me the chair. <laughs> they powdered my nose, craft service. Can I get you anything? So I just went along with it. And, you know, that's when truly how I got bit by the bug. And, and I knew that this was the life for me, that this is what I wanted to do. And I remember, you know, I had a couple of days on that background, you know, in a couple of scenes, but it was like film school for me. I was 11 and I, you guys were on my block and I was watching you guys and I really, my eyes were on you because, you know, the film was called Nunzio yes. and you played Nunzio, which was an incredible performance. Thank you. Your, your performance in that film was sensational. I mean, if, if, if anybody could see this performance, I think... You, you know, can you see able, it. You can uh, see it now. People see it. They call me... I think, I think it's on YouTube. I think they have yeah, the whole thing on it. YouTube. So, you know, Google Nunzio. But, you know, you play a, a retarded man who, who believes that he's Superman. And it's yes. just so warm. Uh, just your character was gentle and, and strong. And it was just... It was a feel-good movie. It was the Rocky, you know, of the time. You know, it was it was that time. It was a story. It was a Christmas story. And, you know, so, you know, for me, I, I watched you. I watched you like a hawk. You know, I was a kid, but I, everywhere you were filming, I followed. I got the call sheet. I knew what locations you were on. I was, it was all over my neighborhood. So wherever you guys were filming, I showed up, and I watched you film. And it was truly like film school for me. I am an actor because you of you. You know, because you've had a wonderful career and you turned into an actor, a real actor. You didn't turn into just a, and a teacher and an actor. That is with me and it means a lot to me, that, that performance and brushing into your life gave you a journey. It, it's a big thing for me. I get to touch people's lives on a daily basis. You know how many actors bang on my door? I've had my Manhattan Actors Studio here for seven years. I have actors knocking on the door all the time. You know, they don't know how to get started. They don't, you know, and I, I teach them the craft. And, and not only do I teach them the craft, but I, I get to be the guide, you know, because, right. you know, I believe success leaves clues. I've been there. I've done that. I got the T-shirt to prove it. Yeah. And, you know, I truly found my true passion, which is teaching the craft of acting and, you know, making a difference, being of service, like how many people's lives I get to touch. But that wouldn't happen if you didn't make that movie on my block. You know, it was, it was those little things, you know, uh, shortly after they did Saturday Night Fever and I watched John Travolta, you know, do a scene <laughs> till four o'clock in the morning, a stunt in the Barracuda Club and a fight scene and this whole thing. And, you know, I, I stood outside and, you know, me and my sisters got his autograph. He came out, you know, it was Vinnie Barbarino, you know, he came out and, and he gave me his autograph. So right there on my wall in my room, I had that Nunzio, uh, you know, what they used to put in the trucks that said Nunzio with the bicycle. And then I had my John Travolta autograph <laughs> and, you know, and I had my Rocky poster, you know, those are the things that really truly inspired me to, you know, follow this stream. It was you making that movie in the neighborhood. So I can't, you know, it's, it's That's crazy. Right? I do. I do. You know, so here, here's the, you I know, yeah. So, so here's the picture. So when I was looking for you know <laughs> a poster from my different films that I've done, um, you know, I was looking for a Nunzio poster and then I found this lobby card. They used to put these in the lobby back in the day and they would show scenes from the movie. And this is the scene with you and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Andronico when he's beating you up. 
and I was in the background over here, but I made the lobby card. So this is this is you, and there's me right, right over here. <laughs> and you broke down. You were crying. For do you remember? Do, do you remember that? You had a great acting moment, didn't you? So here I am, a little You're standing uh, there crying, and somebody I, said, "Get that kid out of the picture. He's yeah, crying. Everybody's sure. gonna look at this kid. He's he's gonna upstage the scene." My <laughs> little kid stands there, cries. And everybody cries. You well, know? you know, I was in the moment. You know, I was. Yeah, you, you know, were right there. You were right there. So you were, you were there, telling you that you were an actor. That was that. That was telling you you're an actor. You lend yourself to that emotion, and you welcome it. And you were a kid that had a, a, emotions. I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. There was a little girl, a little blonde girl that was standing next to me against the fence, right? While you yeah. were flying around on the flagpole and then your brother comes in and he, he says, what are you doing? And he starts, you know, yeah, smacking right. you around. Well, I guess that little blonde girl's mom, you know, must have saw the shot and noticed that, that she was being blocked. So this cute little blonde girl, you know, comes up to me and she says, can we change places? <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't think anything. I changed places with her. So in the film, you know, you have your cape and your cape is kind of blocking me and she's in full view. So she freaking, she, her mother must have been a stage mom or whatever. So, you know, you got to switch places. But the beauty is, is I, I since, since we, since we changed places, I got the lobby card. She don't. So now I have this on my wall in my studio because we changed places. You got the lobby card. She got the, and yeah. told you everything. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about that a little bit? Listen, the Hollywood Dream Maker is about, I created it to inspire young artists to follow their dreams. Because if a kid like me, you know, uh, from Brooklyn, from a broken home, from the streets, come out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in his pocket and a one-way ticket and become a working actor and living the dream, you know, anybody can do it. You know, if this is your true passion and it's in your heart and this is what you want, then, you know, go for it. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done because my whole life, everybody laughed at me and told me it couldn't be done. You know, people that I said I want to be an actor to, nobody said, yeah, go for it. You can do this, kid. And, you know, I had a lot of naysayers. There's a lot of years between us. I'm an old man now. and uh, uh, You look great. Thank you. In my generation, for a short, dark, ethnic-looking kid from Brooklyn, like, well, you're a good-looking kid, but the actors were blonde, blue-eyed, and uh, Troy Donahue, and uh, Tab Hunter, and uh, Tony Curtis, but that was a whole other thing. <laughs> you know, who are you? You, you're short, you're dark. <laughs> you're not gorgeous. What are you talking about? you got to be gorgeous, right? I got that, uh, and I got that ten times because it was so in in in. Uh, uh, you get a job, you go to work, you get married, go home. That's it. And the thing about following your dreams is, I used to walk out of the Lowy's Pitkin or uh, the Lowy's Premium in my neighborhood, and uh, nobody could tell me that when I played those characters I just saw on the screen walking home that I couldn't do it because uh, all I did was. At eight, nine years old, go to my mother worked as a matron in a theater, a little a cheap little theater, and I'd be able to go in there and uh, just do the characters all day long. And it, it, look, you know, we say you got to dream, but it's a calling, and you had a calling, you see, and I had a calling, and for eight, nine to know that there and w- what you were about, you you didn't know it consciously, but I believe it's born in people to want to, uh, it's a calling, it's just the way the teaching is a calling. Uh, 
the seminary is a call. I mean, you know, it's a calling. I hate to sound like, but but like above it all, it's not. It's just that you have it, and it takes you. And if you allow it to take you, and you uh, respect it, and not because some of us do with our dreams, we say, "Well, listen, I'm just a pie in the sky guy." And you know, around us, everything is there to tell us no. There's always the world to say no. Always, you know that. You're not going to do that. You can't do that. And, and that's an impact. And that just slows us down. But you've got to trust what that instinct is about and that calling is about and the joy of it. And it's a blessing, I've said, and it's somewhat of a curse. A curse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't want to say it. Yeah, and it's a curse because we, we, we are in, a, in an industry and in a business and in a world. And, and just it's not exclusive to acting or theater, it's a very, very insanely competitive world we live in right now. And, uh, of course, we live in the most competitive business you can be in, just the way ballplayers, you know, to want to be in the world of art. Yeah, you got to have thick skin. You got to, you know... You got to take a punch. You got to know how to take the punch and take it and get off. And and it's all corny stuff. You know, brush yourself off, get yourself off, and start all over again. You know that song? There's a real wisdom in all that. You really do have to just pick yourself up, brush yourself off. And if you need it and that calling exists, start all over again. Get that workshop, go into his class, go into his school, do anything you can do. Can we go to the back to the beginning? I mean, like, well, you know, okay, so, you know, when you were a kid, you used to go to the movies, you used to... You know, I had a grandma. Movie. I had a grandma who, a Viennese Jewish person, she adopted me, and she would take me to Jewish theater, Yiddish, in Brooklyn. I'm 78 years old, remember? You know, I'm talking about 78, 70 years ago. Oh, oh, 70 years ago, I'm talking about 7 okay? And what was last there, there was there was this old-time theater she would take me to, stage, stage stuff. And the actors would wear this heavy makeup, like they would look orange all the time, but it was actors' makeup, and I loved that. I said, I want to look orange, I used to say. I want to look, I want to have that makeup on and stuff. And she would take me because she was more, she was a very uh, sophisticated lady. In relation to everybody, though. she was Viennese, Austrian, that ran away from Hitler, you know, the whole, but she was and loved theater and had an instinct about me. Then she got me in a choir to sing. So I had the calling and she understood it. So I was very, very, very blessed to have her in my life. And I'll tell you a funny story. You want to hear a story? Would I would love to hear a funny story. All right. <laughs> in school, uh, eventually I became a joker in the class. You know, I'm one of those guys. Who, uh, I always want to laugh, you know, and, and, and class was always a way to get a laugh. I mean, yeah, class clown. <laughs> hey, come on. Guys are around you. They all want you to do it anyway. They're all rooting you on to do something. And the teacher was a Mr. Moody, an African-American black man, a wonderful guy. Uh, he was also a drama coach in the school. And he said to me, look, Pro Val. And he had this kind of voice, you know, right up here, uh, hey, Pro Val. And always, they always called you by your last name in, in school in New York. David. I was in uh, junior high school 66 and I had the highest crime rate in the country at school. Junior high school 66 in Brooklyn killed everybody. So we were in a tough school with tough kids. 
in yeah. seventh grade, he said to me, look, I wrote this little play. You're a class clown. I'd like you to do it. I want you to do the narration of the play. And he puts me in front of the audience. It's a Wednesday group. I have the script. And it says, my name is Ivanovich, Kranovich, Brandovich, Kornovich, and I run this camp. You know, and I could, I was good with accents, and I, I was a clown, you know. And he says, okay, I like the accent you do. I get in front of the audience, and my friends are in front, and they're going, whoa, you know, friends are goofing on you. And I look down, and I say, my name is Ivanovich, Kranovich, Kafiltovich. You know what Kafiltovich is? <laughs> it's a Jewish fish, right? Uh, and I got a tremendous laugh, right? The teachers, the, the students, tremendous laugh. And I do the thing, and they love it, right? Laughing. Oh, I get off, the teacher says to me, oh, Pravel, did you say Kafiltovich? I said, no, Mr. Moody, I don't know what. He said, I, I thought I heard you say Kafiltovich. I said, no, I, I wouldn't. Do, no, I, I really. All right, we do it again, and I do it again. And he comes off, and I come up, he says, I distinctly heard you say Gefilte Fish. Proval, <laughs> you have an authority problem. And I've never said this before. I'm a drama coach. But you should think of theater for yourself. Wow. I said, oh, well, what? He says, I, I think you have a, a flair for it, Proval. I said, do He says, well, look, I don't want to, you know, but yeah. And he meant it. When I did Nunzio, I got a note universal. This is... In seventh grade, he must have been 100 years old when he sent this note. I don't know. Proval, keep up the good work, Mr. Moody. Now the hands on my arms are standing up again. Right it's now. amazing. You know what my drama teacher told me when I said I want to be an actor? Uh, Forget about it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when I had my own TV series and I had a movie premiere and I was a star in the movie, I came back with my limo, my limo driver said, where do you want to go? I said, take him to my high school. And I pulled up in front of my high school and I, and I sat there. I had a drink. <laughs> I, waited uh, the, I waited till the school started clearing out a little bit. And then, then the word got out that, you know, I was, I was a popular television on a brand new Fox TV series, you know, really? I play like the Fonz. So the girls were out there screaming the whole thing. Next thing I know, the cops show up, everything. And they escort me down to the lunchroom, down to the drama department. I knock on the door and I say, you remember me? I said, I asked you, I wanted to become an actor, and you told me to forget about it, kid. So now you can watch me at 8 o'clock, Saturday night on Fox. <laughs> I got to go to my movie premiere right now. <laughs> I'll walk the other way. <laughs> That's another great story. No, my Mr. Moody, he told me. He said, go. You know, he's the one that said it. And then I did another play for him, and then... I, yeah, but we had the opposite experiences. So I got to tell you, so, you know, we did Nunzio, what, I don't know, 40 something years ago, the way I, I got bit by the bug. But then, you know, I, I didn't know who you were. I had seen you in that movie. But then, you know, as I got older and I got into my juvenile delinquent years running around yeah. Brooklyn, running around the mean streets, you know, thinking, you know, right. That was the life for me, you know. Yeah, you know the, that whole neighborhood thing. You know, I was, I was, I was kind of running in the wrong circles, you know. And I remember we snuck into a movie theater, and I saw Mean Streets, and I, I'm sitting in the back of the theater smoking a cigarette, got my feet up on the thing, and all of a sudden, you know, you come up in the movie, and you're throwing this drunk guy out of the bar, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, holy shit, that's him. That's Nuns. That's Nunzio. Oh, no, no, it couldn't be. Wait a second. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. No, it, it could be because I didn't see it when it came out. I saw it years later. 
Oh, oh years, it's years after, later. After yeah, Ninja. after Nunzio, I saw it oh. years later. I was already oh. 16, 17 years old when I saw it. Oh, oh, oh okay, all right. So now I'm seeing it and I'm going, there you are. Now me, you know, that was kind of my, I was kind of, that was my, my life story, you know, it's running around, you know, but this is the same guy. So now I saw you, you weren't playing Nunzio. You weren't playing a retarded guy. You were playing uh, you know, wise guy, bar owner, whatever. And it was like, like a light bulb went on for me. I was like, look at this. He's doing, he's now in this other movie, you know, and, and I, and I saw a completely different guy, you know, a different character. And I was like, you know, that's when the seed was planted again in my brain, because I was kind of running in the wrong circles, you know, and then here's another seed popped in right into my brain. And it was like, what he did. Yeah. Years before he played a little wise guy running around the streets on the bar. I really believe that my work in mean streets was, I mean, it's Bob De Niro's movie, and it's Martin Scorsese's movie, and it's a, it's an innovative. I mean, it's a groundbreaking. It's everything, but Marty had such trust somehow in me. I thought it was supposed to be that way. That directors, when you know it, I know the life because I'm from there, and he knew that, and he knew that, and he stayed away from me, but he exuded. Such trust in what I was doing that one day it was we were working after a while, and you know, we I don't realize this about the movie Meets, which is a great film. I always think of it as you know, ah, it's Bob's movie, it's Harvey's movie, it's Marty's movie. Me, I'm I stand there, but I watched it one day. And hey, I got a lot in this, I'm, a, yeah, I'm in this movie, I'm one of the guys in the movie, yeah. so I watched it, and then the Nunzio, which was three years later. And I, I really believe that work came out of Martin Scorsese. And in some ways, Nunzio came from Martin Scorsese. Not, okay. I'll, I'll say it. I said it to the director. Because I remember times that he was such a wonderful audience for actors for Bob De Niro. And I did something. I jumped over a bar or something. I was in, And he's got print. And he looked at me and he said, wow, I knew you were going to do that. He never directed me to do it, to jump over. <laughs> it wasn't rehearsed or anything, but it was an impulse. Yeah, you followed your instincts. Instinct, instinct. It was an instinct. I jumped over and oh, cut print. I knew you were going to do that. And he was very, like, he said, and then he held me and he said, so good to have you in the movie. You know, and this was after three weeks. And he's not a guy to do that. He doesn't do that. You work with him? I have not, but I wish, and I will, you know, that's, you will. that's, that's, on, that's on the list, but He's you know, here, here's what I'd love to know is, you know, uh, Mean Streets, you know, what was it? I think it was Season of the Witch, but it was the working title. Yeah, yeah right? that was the working title. So, but Mean Streets was Scorsese's big first film. I mean, I know he had done Funny. some other stuff, but this was his big movie, right? This is the one that Warner's picked up, and this yeah. was the one that I- And then, uh, you know, you had... Robert De Niro, you had Bobby, you had Harvey Keitel, you had Richard Romanus, you had yes. this, you had this cast, which was an awesome cast. I mean, awesome. Carradine was in the film too. Yeah, yeah, um, at the beginning. I, yeah. I so, so you know, how did you get the part? How did it all come about? How did you, good, you know, meet good, Scorsese? I tell you, because young actors who may see this will see that's so many ways to get cast in a movie. You know, it doesn't. John Voight. 
was on his way to the ministry. He wanted to be a Catholic. He's a Catholic. He wanted to be a priest. Marty had the same thing. He wanted to be a priest. You know what Main Streets is about? You struggle yeah, with the, the sure. religion. He found out about John, and he called John. He said, I got this. John said, let me talk, and he kept talking. He says, look, I got a guy to do. This was uh, 1971. I got a guy, 71. I got a guy to do the other role, Johnny Boy. He's a pal of mine, David Proval. And uh, if he does the role, I do the role, I'm real interested. Because we had a group together, Boyd and I, an acting group where people would doctor each other. One guy would moderate one night, another guy would moderate another night. Alan Goffin, may rest in peace, God, please be happy in heaven. Alan was there and wonderful actors. So he came to me with the script, Season of the Witch. You're right. And I read this thing and I said, John, you know, I know this. I'm from that line, you know. I'm <laughs> from Brooklyn, the best actor. What do you want? You want me to do research? You know? <laughs> and he said, okay, let me talk to this guy, Marty. I'm interested in this guy. Uh, nobody knew Marty. Nobody knew Marty. Got it? Yeah. He just he was teaching at NYU film and trying to, you know, struggle. He says, but I'm interested in this guy. He's a very interesting guy. It's okay. He introduces him and brings him into the group one night. Um, and a girl named Marilyn Hassett, wonderful actress, who they were interested in, in, in a role. And then I got up and worked with Richard Romanus. He leaves. This is 1971, late, late 71. Ah, we hear nothing. They don't have money. Now it comes back. About eight months later, John calls me. He says, you know, remember that guy Scorsese? Scorsese, he couldn't remember his name. Scorsese. Yeah, I said, no, it's Scorsese. I remember I used to say that to him. He said, what is it? I said, Scorsese. He couldn't pronounce it. Scorsese, Scorsese. I said, yeah, yeah, no, no, Scorsese. Okay. He says, he wants me to do this movie. Now, when I met Marty, I was in weight 145, 50 pounds. In a year, I put on 30 pounds. About 185, <laughs> I can eat. And I frustrated with work, you know, the frustrations of the business. Uh-huh. So I go to food. I'm frustrated, I eat. That's all. But he said to me, John, what can I do? Dye my hair, break my nose for your career? I can't play that guy. I can't play Charlie. You want them to play Charlie? He says, I'm not Italian. I don't look Italian. I don't know the thing. I said, you're a great actor. But I wasn't going to. Yeah, I understood. He says, but he wants you in the movie. So, really? But he wants to meet you again. And I met him at the Aware Inn on Sunset Boulevard. And he stood there with his head down. And I talked. And he never looked at me. (laughs) Producer was there, John Tappan. And I said, what is this man? You know, and I liked him. I liked what he had to say. He was a very bright guy. He's a bright man. You know, he's a smart guy. And I liked him a lot. I go home. I tell my wife. I don't know. It's not going to work because the guy never looked at me. Three in the morning, he calls me. 3 a.m. The phone rings. I'm worried about, oh, my kids, the kids, you know. I said, hello, David. Yeah, John Taplin. Who? John Taplin. I forgot the guy's (laughs) name. He was the producer. I said, what? We met you. Where in the tonight? I said, oh. He said, yeah, yeah. Let me put Marty on the phone. I said, you know what time it is? I give a shit. I give a shit. He says, yeah, 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 we know, we know. I'm sorry I called you so late. 
Boom. He puts Marty on the phone. Right? David, you want to do my movie? I said, yeah, I told you I want to do the movie. I mean, with more. All right, good. Uh, I'll speak to you soon. That's it. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's wow, wow. three in the morning. Three in the morning, he calls me. He didn't know what time it was. And I told it to him, too. I said, do you know what time it is? He said, no, what time is it? I said, it's 3 a.m. <laughs> you know what time it was? These guys so, were wired. So, so, they wanted to do this movie. So how does, uh, you know, I mean... I don't know. Harvey at the time, nobody knew who Harvey was. I mean, I know Bobby oh, had Bobby. done a Robert De Niro had done a couple of films. I call him Bobby. <laughs> yeah, you sure. know, here's a, here's a funny story is, is, you know, for me watching you in mean streets and watching yeah. Richard Romanes, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, you yeah. in my career, Richard Romanes played my father on NYPD blue. When I played a son of a mafia boss, he was the oh. mafia boss. I did a movie called Pretty Woman with Gary Marshall and then Penny Marshall was doing Awakenings. So I was, I auditioned and they wanted to screen test me. I was in Palm Screen Springs. They told me that I need to go to uh, the studio on a Sunday. I, I drove back a million miles an hour to get back to prepare. I go in there and I do a screen test with Robert De Niro. So, I mean, that's a, that's well, a whole other story. Testing, testing with you, yeah. Uh, it was it was amazing because you know I was, I was thinking I'm going to see uh, Raging Bull I'm going to see Jake LaMotta I'm going to see Travis Bickle I get you know Leonard you know he's you know he played this character in Awakenings that you know was kind of right, right. you know sick and whatever so the scene was is you know he's sitting at a, a a Puerto Rican cab driver who takes him and picks him up and tells him hey you know this is a bad neighborhood come on let me get you out of this neighborhood and he's getting sick on the you know in, in the bench and I'm trying to get him out of there and I'll tell you what a magical moment was for me. And I learned so much in this little moment is, you know, it's me, Robert De Niro, Penny Marshall, who I grew up watching Laverne and Shirley, you know, and a cameraman. Right. And in the scene, I go to pick him up and say, come on, Len, you're, you know, this is a bad neighborhood. And De Niro just stays there like dead weight, doesn't do anything. So he makes me struggle to pick him up. And in that moment, it, everything became so real. In that moment, I had to struggle. I, I literally took him and I picked him up and I put him up on my shoulder and I said, come on. And we started improvising. Come on, Len, I'm going to get you home or whatever. And then finally, Penny Marshall yells, cut. And I, you know, gingerly put Bobby down. And he looks at me and goes, that was good. That was good. That's <laughs> good like, what you just did. <laughs> and I was like. I was I like cloud nine. I, I didn't give a shit. I got the part. I didn't get the part. I just worked with Robert De Niro. You know, so, me, no, but, but from Mean Streets, I, I got to work with you. I went to uh, the premiere of the piano with Harvey Keitel and had, I had dinner with him before the thing. And yeah. Richard Romano played my father and I got to work with uh, Bobby De Niro. So I got to work with all of you guys. I, I, got, I, mean, hang <laughs> I, I have a, a Penny Marshall story that really... I was cast on Laverne and Shirley. Gary Marshall liked me a lot. And he, he, he liked me for years. He came to see me in a play I did uh, seven years ago. He, he comes to play. And Gary may rest in peace and heaven be happy. Yep. May and rest in and peace. Uh, uh, Gary um, wanted me to do the big ragu. Oh, yeah. Carmine. <laughs> and uh, he'd always come up to me, Gary. He says, I love your eyes. I love your eyes. I'm a, I'm a, he's the sweetest yeah, yeah, yeah. man. And, and uh, Richard Dreyfus was a friend of mine at the time. And uh, Steve, uh, Pat McQueenie was my manager. She was a big man. 
Well, she was respected manager. She had a stable of young actors, one of them, Harrison Ford, something like that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a stable, and I can mention a few more. And I was in the stable. And she put me on the show. Oh, and her other client was Sydney Williams, who was still leading the show. So she put me on the show. They wanted Sydney, and he loved me. So it was a, Richard comes around one day when we were screen testing other guy, other people to be on the show. And Richard says to me, you want to be in the movies? I said, what do you mean? You're never going to be in the movies. You do this series, you can say goodbye to movies. I said, what do you mean? Said, Nobody wants you. Remember those years? If you do a TV series, forget about forget it. Forget about it. Or soap opera. Soap opera is even worse. Right. <laughs> it's a death. A death. Or it's a commercial. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it was always an elitist bullshit thing. Yeah. It didn't mean anything. But I was still like wanting to do movies and, you know, it's just after Scorsese and I, I wanted to work. And the money, <laughs> it was wonderful. But he convinced me and I walked off the show. Wow. And she said to me, you did something. I, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, Billy, because I was, well, I think it, and the guy, Danny, I forgot his name now, Danny, lovely guy, could sing, could dance. The Danny guy Most. Danny Most? Oh, no, Danny, oh. how you kid? Oh, well, oh the, the guy who played Carmine Ragusa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't Danny. I forget what his name was. Oh, it wasn't. All right, I forgot his name for him. He was perfect. Man. Yeah, he was great. Sing and dance and everything. I would have been a piece of locks sitting there. You know? <laughs> really, I can't do that stuff. I can and I can't, but not like him. And he got it and he worked on series the whole time. He called me later years and he said, you know, I can't get a job. This is good for young actors to hit. This is a guy who did his hit, hit, hit series. Sure. I said, yeah, that's a kiss of death, but you'll get a job. They'll forget the series, and then you'll start working again. He said, nah. He said, but, you know, you were blessed to walk off, and this is Soprano years after Soprano. This is about yeah. He says, and I think they buried me. That show buried me. Yeah, you know, the, you know, it happens. You know, I mean, you get typecast. People see you as only that role. You know, for years, you know, for me, it was happening for me. I was only playing uh, – he can only play that Italian character, that dumb Italian character, you know, and it, I had to fight against it. I mean, literally fight to get into the door for other roles. Yeah. You know, I did oh, like televisions have been great for me in many ways. You know that the IBM had me for 150 television shows. If you ever look me up, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. It's nuts. I mean, sure. I know I get residual checks. I don't remember doing the show. Yeah. You, you get the ones that I get now. I get the ones for two cents. <laughs> I got in my wallet. I got two checks. I'm like, what? Oh, you got to be kidding me. I got one for a penny and one for two cents in my wallet. I keep it in my wallet. Remember, there used to be a bar in the valley called Residuals. You bring the your, your residual there. You can get a free drink. <laughs> the cheapo. I don't know that. Yeah. But television has been good to me. You know, I, I played Greeks. I played Russian. I played, you know, they, they give me roles on television. But it disappears. I mean, it's not like you do a movie. Sure. You know, but it's well, listen, been fun. It's been you know, fun. You've had a, you've had, I followed your career. Like, you know, I followed your career. And, you know, I know, listen, it's a roller coaster ride. You got your peaks, you got your value. You know, you, you know, if you're in it for the ride, you're in it for the ride, the journey, then, you know, just hold on and it's going to take you. You never know ride. what the next role is going to be. And mm -hmm. then for you, I know for you, there was maybe a time where, you know, 
you were working here and there, a little independent, this and that. But then here comes the Sopranos. Here comes uh, well, here comes Nunzio first. They give me a three picture deal, three picture wow. deal from Nunzio when they saw the dailies. So well, let's go back now. How did Nunzio come about? How'd you get the part? How'd you get the part as Nunzio? Good question. You know, John Voigt brought me a play, The Basic Training of Paolo Homo. Great One play. Great, great, great anti-war play. We did it, staged it, got amazing notices. It was really a, a lovely play. Opening night, at this, I have an opening night story that's one of the funniest in the world. He stacked the house with movie stars, Jane Fonda, Al Pacino, blah, blah, blah. And Al Pacino did the role in, in Boston. Sure. You know, and now he's coming to see somebody else do the role. And it's not, not, not at the St. Charles or on Broadway, but he got Al there and he got stacked with them. Now, the day before we opened, Joe Papp in New York sent us a coffin they used in uh, the production they did. And we got this beautiful coffin, and we never rehearsed with it. And we do the play that night, opening night. All these people are there. They close the coffin. I got to go out for my curtain call. And the stage manager wants to lift the lid of the coffin, and I get out. I'm lying in this coffin, and I'm waiting. And nobody comes. I'm knocking on the thing. You think you can do this? You can't open it. What are they afraid the guy's going to get out? I don't know. I'm lying there. Can't open the fucking thing. So I'm knocking on the coffin, and finally the stage manager figures it out how to open the thing. And I'm late on my curtain call, which was perfect for the character because he was a mess up in the army. Mm-hmm. And I'm perfect on my look. And the curtain call is a wonderful curtain call where they're all screaming, Pablo, Pablo, Pablo. And wow. it was wonderful. Now, John Voigt. Produced that play for me. Out of his pocket, came up with the money, produced the play for me. This is this, after, is, this is after Main Streets. This is but, but that he here. So he had done Midnight Cowboy by then. Oh yeah, yeah. he did okay. it sixty nine. Okay, this was seventy four. No, he's a movie star. Oh, he's a movie star. Okay, big movie star. So he produced that play for me in seventy four. A guy comes to the play, Jimmy Andronica. You know him. Yeah, I know. I yeah, Jimmy. You know, well. you know he wrote he wrote Nunzio. I, I I'll tell you my Jimmy Andronica story after you're done. Go ahead. And he comes up to me. He says, "This is the first play I've ever seen." I said, "You're kidding." He says, "No, I see movies. I don't go to play." He says, "This you will make, but I'm going to write something for you." And he did. He wrote Nunzio. Now a guy named Paul Aaron, who is Richard Dreyfuss's friend, kind of semi quasi manager. I don't know. Brings a script to me named Augie. It's a retarded guy. I I hated it. But it was about a tang, uh, a retarded guy, mentally challenged guy who had a, a fantasy of being a Tarzan. Sounds like Nunzio, right? But the yeah. whole thing was a rich woman adopts him, builds a jungle for him. You know why? Because the guy is well hung. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, they're not serious with this. And he was a nice man, but he was a gay man who wanted to do this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, this is not funny. I don't think it's funny. I passed it on. And Jimmy brings me a script. And I said, you know that a guy, he didn't know anything about the other script. And I said, I had a guy on my block thought he was Roy Rogers. And initially, but yeah. And I jumped behind the car. He shoot me. But yeah, he had a fantasy of being Roy Rogers. I said, I know a guy had a fantasy of being Roy Rogers. His uncle had a fantasy of being Benson. Superman, right? And we came up with a script. Well, P.S., the guy came around and said, hey, he stole my story. He stole my... The guy was shoved aside. The guy was full of shit. And uh, it never happened. You know, whatever. Why am I telling you that? 
Well, you were, telling me, you were telling me about, you know, the, how Nunzio came about. Yeah, that's how. Uh, anyway, Nunzio came about. The writer saw the play. and uh, Jimmy writes a script. Writes a script. We go up to Jennings Lang, who's a friend of the director. He's not a friend, but he knew him. And the guy liked me and liked Jimmy. And he said, well, what's this about? I said, well, it's about... He said, why don't you do a scene from it for me? This is Jennings Lang. On the spot. On the spot. spot. Jennings Lang. Big man, Jennings Lang. Yeah. 14th floor, the Black Tower. I'm sitting in an office. He's telling me to do a scene for him. I said, said, well, can I have like a while? Because I was working on the character. I was working on the character. And, and, And Jimmy was ready to do that little moment. And we come in and I do the scene... And I stop, and he sits there, and he's wiping tears. And he gets on the phone. This is a big-time guy. What does it cost us to do a uh, movie in Brooklyn nowadays? Huh. Like that. Wow. I'm standing there. No, no, no. He says, I, I don't like that number. Give me another number. <laughs> you know those guys? Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that number. All right, we'll talk about the number. I want to do this movie. Like that. And the rest is history, and that's why we're here today. They did it, and they loved it, and they loved it. The dailies, and they gave us more money. They gave us more cameras. They gave us, they they loved it. They loved it at the end. And there was an in-house political struggle. I'm not going to get involved with it. they, They sold the movie to CBS. They got their money back. I remember seeing it on TV when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, they sold it for movie of the week. Yeah. And they got their money back. But they didn't, they gave me a three-picture deal. And they didn't want to work any further with Paul, the director. So here's my Jimmy story, right? So here I am. I'm in uh, Hollywood. You know, I came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket. You know, I, I found this agent. He got me my first audition. You know, I, I booked that part. You know, I thought this was it. I made it. I'm, you know, then there's nothing. I can't even get an audition, nothing. I'm, I'm walking around. And I run into uh, James Andronica in, in Toluca Lake. And, and I say to him, uh, you know, I, I introduced myself. I said, you know, you filmed a movie in my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm an actor. You know, I'm like 18 and I'm telling him the story. And, you know, I told him I wasn't happy with my agent. And he pointed me to an agent, John LaRocque. He says, you know, you should go see John. He's a friend of mine. You know, go, go, go talk to this guy. He says, tell him I sent you. I went over there and I got signed over with uh, John LaRocca. And then John LaRocca got me an audition for a brand new Fox TV series that I went in there and I landed that role and I got my own TV show. So Nunzio, you inspired me to become an actor. Now I'm in Hollywood and, you know, things, uh, you know, I, I, I booked a little couple of things, but, you know, it, it was really running into Jimmy that pointed me to that agent that got me in the door to land my own TV series. So it's, it's crazy how, you know, everything. All right, when you get your out. next series now, now that I know all this, when you get your next series, if you want to do another series, 5% I'm getting now. <laughs> all right, you got 5%. Of it. But, you know. Come on. You knocked Jimmy, said you to an agent. Come on. I know. I, know, I know. I got a piece of you, boy. You do. Well, listen, you got a piece of my heart is what you got. I love you. You're great. And I love your classes. But, too. you know, how about this? How about this for a story? So, you know, Whatever, 42 years ago, you're filming a movie in my neighborhood. I'm a kid. I get bit by the bug. But, you know, seven years ago, I opened up my Manhattan Actors Studio here in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I am uh, was in Guatemala on a missionary trip, building a church in the freaking jungle. And wow. I get back 
and I got a voicemail from you. And I guess you were driving by the Manhattan Actors Studio, and I and I think you were looking to teach again because you've taught the right. craft of acting, and you saw an actor studio, so you called, and I think you heard a Brooklyn voice on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but you were like, who is this guy, you know? And I think you went online. I called online. you. I called you. You yeah. called me, okay? Yeah, because yeah, I saw you didn't know. Yeah. You didn't know any of this. So what happened is you went online and you Googled, you know, Manhattan Actors Studio, and then a story came up about me and how I was inspired to become an actor because they filmed a movie in my neighborhood called Nunzio. Yes. And you said, I'm Nunzio. How many oh, oh, could they possibly be? So you call, I call, I and I say to you, you see, I don't know if you know who I am. I go, I know exactly who you are. I said, please come into the studio. And we sat down and I mean, we did that movie 42 years ago. I think I ran into one time at an audition or something like that. And I introduced myself to you, you know, 20 years ago. And then here you are knocking on my door, you know, interested in my school because you want to teach the craft of acting again. And it was like freaking full circle. I mean, here you are sitting in my acting studio. I got your poster on the wall. I got a picture of me and you 42 years ago on the wall. And here I am here. We are. And I'm, you came in, you took over my class, which was the most magical thing ever. I'm sitting here. You came on a Monday night and you, you, you taught my class and it was just, (laughs) It was like, uh, I, I, words can't even explain what I was feeling there, you know, because it, sweetest, man. it truly came like full circle, you know, here we are. Now I get to give you the gift of teaching the craft of acting to, you know, here, go ahead, teach my students. And it was, oh, I had a great it was awesome. Time. A couple of nights. Couple of nights. You still with the same people when I was there. The, the great people. They, yeah, I got, a, I, got a, I got an amazing group of actors. Yeah. It's just a wonderful thing to do. So, you know, I, let's, what I found out what, about teaching is that and I found it out by sitting in the old place for a couple of nights. And that thing that used to light up with moderating a group, which I did for years too, like you, didn't happen for me again. It's just maybe a physical thing, but I couldn't, I couldn't get that bulb lit, the thing for teaching uh, again. So I go to class. I'm a student with Jack Walzer. That's amazing. Great, now, he's now, been my teacher for 50-something years. He's 94 years old. So your teacher's 94 years old, and you're back in class with them now. He's in Paris. I love that. Hey, note to all actors out there, you're constantly working on your craft. Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's revitalizing a lot for me. He's taken off two weeks. I go back to class on Monday, and we do stuff uh, on Zoom. We do, but it's done a lot. It's, it's stoking not, the fire again. Yeah, it's doing something. And Barry Promise is a friend of mine who we did a Zoom play. You know Barry. And uh, uh, Barry Promise and um, Ken Silk, great actor, great, uh, who were with Jack 50 years ago, also are in the group. So we have, for the students there who are all over the world, I mean, I'm doing an improv. That's awesome. with With somebody in the Ukraine. That's amazing. You know, that's what I you know, I love about what's going, you know, listen, the COVID and everything. I mean, for me, you know, I have the brick and mortar here and I, you know, I feel blessed and I get to work with actors and, and it's been amazing. But COVID has pushed me 
out online where it doesn't, I'm not tied to a brick and mortar. So if you're a kid, wherever you, you are, online? all my classes are online. I've been online for the past four months. It's been amazing. I, I, we just shot a short film online. I had my actors write their own pieces. We incorporated, we did, workshopped it. And then one night on a Monday night, we just roll cameras on the Zoom. And it's like a freaking movie. Camera one, give me a close up over here. Camera two. And we just watched it last Monday night in class. And it was awesome. You know, just because this uh, COVID's happening does not mean you lay down and get soft. You know, but this you is the time it. to grow. You look at self-motivation. You look at, I'm saying, I'm looking at you. I know it's video, but you look at, you look nourished. You look healthy. You look strong. Listen, I feel stronger now than I've ever been. You know, I'm more, you know, the, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but you know, during this time, I feel like I've grown as an artist. You know, I, I've pushed myself outside my comfort zone. I've really been, you know, this whole podcast thing, this is all new to me, freaking podcast. You know, I'm an actor, you know, I, I've always been there, you know, I, I, it's okay for me to become another character. I can, you know, step into the shoes of the character and then it's not me. And I kind of almost kind of hide behind the character, you know? <laughs> So, you know, like when I used to go into an auditions, I, Billy Gallo wouldn't walk into the audition. The character would walk into the room. That's the guy who walked in the room. And then it freed me up because I, you know, but then all of a sudden I got to do podcasts and I got to be me. You know, I remember my first podcast. I, I try to play the part of the podcaster like I was doing my thing and, you know, my introduction on the thing. And I, and I came home and I played it for my son and he started laughing at me. Go, Daddy, he says, you sound like a game show host because I was putting on this. Hey, welcome to Hollywood. And I was <laughs> and it was like, what the hell is that? You know, and it, it, just just be me. Yeah, like a game show host. That's very clever. But, you know, it truly, you know, got me out of my comfort zone and to become, you know, just be me, you know, be authentic. This is me. The kid has an ear. He's got a great ear. He's an amazing kid. Listen, I'm the president of the Lucky Club. I mean, truly, I am. I'm I'm living my dream. You know, I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful son. You know, I live. Everybody's good and healthy. Everybody's good. Thank God. You know, I feel blessed, truly blessed. Well, so am I. You got to stay in gratitude. That's key. You know, yeah, first thing I do in the morning, you know, before I, you know, uh, go down a gratitude list, all the beautiful things I'm grateful for. Right. You know, it's pretty hard to ha- have a bad day if you start and you fill your heart with gratitude. Right. You know, and so. today my, my Zoe, who's doing my daughter, my youngest, she's a stand up comedian. She lives in Portland. So I'm a little crazy right now. She's in Portland and she's been doing stand up. I talked to some guy who saw her. Uh, producer and said uh, she's a situation comedy waiting to happen. I said, so writers and I've seen her on stage and I've seen her on film. She's done a movie and uh, she went to the University of Oregon. She majored, you know, in the theater arts. It was a shock to me. I went up to see her in a couple of plays and my daughter, my other daughter, did a couple of plays. And when I said I asked her, did you enjoy yourself? My middle daughter, she said no. I said don't ever do it again. And I saw she didn't enjoy it, and she never had to do it again. That's a great tip right there, what you just uh, said. Joy. Yeah, joy. It's not joyful if, you, if you're not having fun and you know what, then don't do it. Pick another career. Number one. The number joy- one. Yes, number one, the joyfulness. Yeah, if you're looking to get rich or be famous, no, stay you home. Do. You're wasting stay your home. time. But if you're passionate about it and it's in your heart and it's joy and it fills you up and f- it fulfills you, then you go after it like a, ooh, like a vengeance. You go after it like, you know, be unstoppable, be relentless, go get it. You know, I mean, listen, when I came out to Hollywood, I remember I went to Warner Brothers Studios and I went to the guard gate and the guy said, I'm sorry, kid, we can't let you in here. 
So I went around the corner. I climbed the wall with the Bob White and the Chainley friends. Yeah. I jumped out there a lot. I was like, you're not going to tell me I can't come in. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> you know? But, you know, I'm not, saying, I'm not telling actors to go jump the fence, but you got to be that relentless. you got to be able well, to. Well, that was then, but now, yeah. now they'll put you in jail. They'll lock yeah. you so, David, I'd be doing a disservice to my uh, listeners if I didn't ask about your amazing performance in The uh, Sopranos as Richie April. Right. You know, how did that role come about? I mean, can you fill me in on that? Yeah, well, firstly, I did a, a Rockford Files with James Garner, and it was to play a mobster boss. But I talked to Jimmy Kahn about uh, um, Sonny in, in Godfather, and he told me his inspiration was Don Rickles. And I watched it again, and I saw it. I knew what he meant. And I was about to play this crazy mob guy who needed his lithium desperately. And his mob guys, he's screaming at them, you got to get to the drugstore, and I'm doing Don Rickles. <laughs> and James Garner loves it. I'm not doing a tough guy, boom, you know, from the streets. I'm doing, you got to get with me. You know? And James Garner loves it. The director's going crazy. Well, anyway... Here I do, I, I, I audition for The Sopranos. Jujan walk in, I go up to the office, I figure it's just a, one of those auditions. I've been desperate to do this show for a year. I went in initially to read for Tony Soprano, and they said, no good, uh, look too much, but we want to work with you eventually. And I thought, ah, well, that's what people say, and that's, you know, it's in the heat of the moment. Everybody wants to be loving and nice, and when, especially when they're turning you down. They want to be, you know, so, okay, year goes by. The show is an enormous hit. I'm green with envy. I can't even watch the show because I, I love the pilot and I knew this was headed to something. I had a very strong feelings for it right from the gate. And uh, anyway, here it comes, the second season, and I'm in New York uh, working on a show and I'm called in to meet with Georgian again and read for this Richie role on, and I'm really disgusted with everything. And I look at it, but the writing is terrific. The writing is terrific. It's on the nose, everything. You know, there's a phrase there that's given me. And I go up and read, and she's pretty excited. And she comes out, and she says, where are you? I said, look, I'm in to do a job. I'm going to go home to L.A. I go home to L.A. I get a call. Will you come back? I book myself on a flight. I go back. I read again. I go home. I get another call. Will you come back again? This is the second time on my own money, on my own dime, as we say. So you're in L.A. and you got to fly back to New York. About twice I did it. Twice on your own dime. Of course. Because when you want something, you got to seize it. You got to go after it. And you got to believe, you know, that you deserve it. You got it. You've done enough work and you understand this, especially when it's that, you know, this is a show. And I go uh, back to audition and there... At the Silver Cup Studios is Robert Pastorelli, great actor, wonderful actor. Jimmy Russo, I know you get your Jimmy Russo comparison. Mm-hmm. Great actor, terrific. It's yeah. not nice to be compared to a good actor. And uh, uh, they're there, and I'm disgusted now. I'm filled and raged. My body is frozen in anger. I can't leave this rage that's within me. That what do I have to do? Now, it's either one of those guys, Robert Pastorelli, who already had been on a hit show with Candice Bergen, and, or it's Jimmy Russo, who's perfect for the role, and I'm there. And I just couldn't breathe. I was so enraged with everything. And finally, they go in, and then they have me in last. 
And then I look up and there's Jimmy uh, Galafini and uh, he's disgusted with what's going on that day because he's in the middle of a scene and they dragged him out of the scene to come up and read with me. So, you know, you're doing one thing and then they dragged him up. So he comes up and he says, what did I want from you? What did I want? I said, oh my God, this, I'm dead. I'm dead in the water. The lead is disgusted. We do the reading. And I, fin- I think we're finished with the reading. When I bought a shirt for this audition that gave me permission to a certain attitude of character. This is when wardrobe comes in. And to prepare yourself for these auditions, especially the ones you watch, it could do anything. It could be a hair comb. It could be sound of music. It could be whatever you want. Your hair, you know, a shirt. So I put this shirt on, and it was a cheap knit looking Italian knit, but it was cheap looking. It looked like a checkerboard. And uh, uh, we finished the reading, and then James Gallifini looks at me and he says, Where'd you get the shirt? And I look at him, and he's inviting me to something. It's his instinct, is whatever he was. And I said, so what's the matter? You don't like the shirt? He said, no, no, Rich. I, I didn't say I didn't like the shirt. I'm just asking you where you got it. I said, yeah, but by the tone in your voice, you said you don't like my shirt. You don't think this is a nice shirt? I didn't say that, Richie. <laughs> you know? And we were into this improv that we hear giggles in the audience and the, 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 the HBO is sitting there and they're going, oh, oh. Look at this, right? He gets up to leave, and they ask me to get up next to him. And he keeps getting up. He's a big guy, and I'm short, right? And I'm figuring, oh, God, what is this? So I look at the, I look at them, and I just take a last shot, and I say, hey, listen, I play 6'4". <laughs> Get a big laugh at the audience, right? right? At the audience, the HBO people. I walk out. She runs after me. Georgian, where are you staying? I said, I'm staying in a hotel. I go to the Museum of Natural History, which was across the street from the hotel I was staying. I stand in front of the dinosaur, that big dinosaur when you first walk into the museum. I said, this is how small I feel. This is how I feel right now with all this work and this business and auditioning. This is, I looked up at this dinosaur and I said, this is how I feel. I'm in the perfect place to define what I'm feeling. I go back to the room. The phone is ringing. I'm knocking on the door. I can't get in because the car doesn't work. You know, when you go to those hotels, the car doesn't work. And I'm banging on the door. I get in, boom, I pick up the phone. David, yeah, it's um, my agent at the time. Who was it? Oh, yeah. Anyway, you got it. I got what? You got the Sopranos. I said, I just booked the job. He said, you got it. Yeah, seven shows. And I just hung up the phone, and I don't want to sound like a sissy. I am a sissy. I'm an actress. <laughs> We're all the sissies. And I, I just, you know, with all that rage in me, it just evolved into, I cried. <laughs> I started crying that I got a job. I'm in the business 25 years, but finally I knew that the quality of writing on that show the acting on that show uh, was going to be something special, something that I've never had before. Well, I've had it in certain ways, but not quite like that. That's my audition story. Well, you know, I was a big fan of the show. You know, I had watched the first season and I was hooked. And then, you know, second season rolls around and you come on and I'm like, 
there you are. It was, you know, I've always followed your career, but there you are again, and, and you're just <laughs> killing it. I mean, you're you running people over with cars, you're smacking people upside the head with coffee, friggin' pots. You know, your character was... Not Nunzio. You were a giant. It was not Nunzio. You know, your performance in there, you know, you got mugged. You should have got the fucking Emmy for that. Excuse my French. You know, it was such a beautiful, beautiful performance. You know, you know that Variety Variety magazine had, when they used to have, uh, they would predict the Emmy nominations. And they had four guys in a box that they predicted. And they have my picture aside from the four guys, and they said, well, this is a definite. And the four guys, yeah. wow. <laughs> kiss of death. He's a definite. <laughs> so, you know, there's a valuable lesson for the listeners here, you know, and I always ask my actors, I ask them to tap into their instrument and, and ask these questions. You know, I am, I want, I need, I That's feel right. like what's going on with you, the actor. This is you play you. You're the instrument. So right. if you, I ask you to check into your instrument, like what's going on. And if you would have checked into your instrument at that time, at that audition, and you, you ask yourself, I am, I want, I need, I feel, you know, you felt enraged. You right. felt like you deserved respect, that you put your time in and, right. you know, they were disrespecting you, they're bringing in you third. So you use all of this stuff and you put that into the audition. But that was exactly what Richie April was feeling. He was feeling, he just got out of joint. He felt disrespected. He felt like he was owed. He was angry. And all of that beautiful stuff that you were feeling as the actor, you brought into the door and gave it to Richie and exposed it in that room. And you made them feel exactly what the given circumstance of the scene was. And that's why they cast you. Yeah, but let's so we got to give respect to the writing, and I think it was Frank Renzulli. I hope I'm not wrong, but Frank Renzulli wrote the line for Richie when Tony Soprano says to Richie, "Don't worry, Richie, I'm going to take care of you," and Richie says to him, "You can't give me what's already mine." Amazing. That's the line. Yep. And they wrote it, and I knew it, and it was there. You can't give me what's already mine. You know, yeah. <laughs> beautiful fucking line. <laughs> What I'm hearing during this conversation was even with Nunzio, when you went in to read for, you know, the, to meet with the producer and he said, uh, yeah, you can show me something right there on the spot. You know, yeah. you could have froze up. You could have, you know, but you didn't. You said, I, I'd like a few minutes to work. And you went sure. outside and you prepared and you dropped into the character. So David Proval didn't walk back into the door. Nunzio that's did. That's part of me. That's yeah. part of me. You showed him the character. You showed him Nunzio right. right there on the spot. And that's, right. that's why he got on the phone and said, you know, let's make this film, you know. Even with Martin Scorsese's uh, Mean Streets, I mean, that came out of you being in class, working on your craft. Right. So, you know, th- there's so many valuable lessons in this conversation. Like, one, you want to be working on your craft. You know, oh, you were working on your craft back then. You're working on your craft right now. You're with right your now. acting teacher, you know, that you've been with for Monday how many? Monday morning. Monday morning, we start our class. How many years you've been with him? Oh, I was with him in 1969, 70. And then he went back to New York. And then we formed our own group out here. It was kind of a disciple of his, you know, but it really wasn't. And then he came, he stayed in here. Then he went to Paris. I lost touch. Then he came back to L.A., got back into his group. And now he's in Paris, back in Paris. He's always stayed in Paris. He celebrated in Paris. He was given the Chavay, uh, whatever award, Chavayev award for 
best acting teacher in the world or something. You know, they, they love him in France. And he's got people from all over the world that zoom in now, like we're doing. Oh, zoom. I love that. And, I love and that you're working on your talk class. and we do whatever, improv, but it's all a close-up. That's yep. the only thing. It's all a close-up. You know, we work in close-up. So what? You wait for your close-up. Yeah. So David, if you could go back and talk to the young you, you know, the, the young aspiring actor, you know, what advice would you give you? Firstly, we talk about, one, the joy of the work. And to me, and for me, the joyfulness of the work was the motivating factor always. First, if that's not there, then you shouldn't be there. That's one. And commitment and demand on yourself, you know, it's it's demand. People... You know, they say, well, what are these guys? They get up out of a trailer, they do for 10 minutes and they go back in their trailer. Or else, if they're doing theater, they're two hours a day, it's an easy job. No, 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 no. The work is constantly with you, 24 hours. And you know that as much as anybody else. You don't walk off that set and it's over. It's with you. It's with you. You, you lay your head on your pillow. The work is should be with you. Not where it disrupts your life, but where it's always something that you're working on. And it's your instrument you're working on, and especially if you're working on a character. Commitment, you have to have the joyfulness of the thing, of the work, commitment to the work. You got to know how to make a demand on yourself. And you got to just, if you're in it for the celebrity and for the party or for the, the big bucks as these guys, you don't do it. Don't go near it because it won't do that. <laughs> it's most of the times if you're lucky you become a working actor as you have been as i have been a, a solid working actor journeyman the other stuff that kids kind of you know glorify all the celebrity and all the well don't because you're going to be disappointed nine times out of 9.9 percent of the time it's the love of the work the joy sure. of the work and then demand and and what you ask of yourself will come. But if you're not enjoying it, if you can't walk into a workshop and be stimulated and be excited about the process, don't ever do it. I told my daughter that when she went up and said, but my youngest, she enjoys and it shows. <laughs> that scares me. But my youngest, when she's on stage, she's wonderful. She's yeah and that's about it that's that's what i would say the joyfulness are you having fun i always ask my daughter when she comes off stage in portland oregon where she does stand-up comedy now and she's also an actress did you enjoy period she's yes i always enjoy it's so important i mean i I know so many actors you know that have uh you know a long list of imdb credits have worked on some big big projects and you know, they're not working anymore. And, you know, I truly believe they stopped having fun. The joy went away. It right. became a job. They put so much pressure on themselves because, you know, they had to take care of They got to get the insurance. They got to rebuild sure. the pay. And, and it really became a job. And, and the fun, the joy of it is like, oh, shit, I got another audition. I got to do, you know. And if you can get back to the joy and the fun and the love of the craft and, and play and truly play, because, you know, a casting director, they can smell desperation a mile away. And they can also but, smell an actor that's truly prepared and is in play and having fun and has made some big choices. Right. You know, that's where you want to be. So, you know, work on your craft, 
constantly like you're doing, you know, it, it never ends when you work never on craft, you, you know, I mean, even walking down the street, it's an acting class. Look at the way that person walks. Look at that right. wardrobe. Look at the behavior of that character. All, all, all to feed you. All to yeah. feed you. So you you want to be truly a sponge, you know, out there and really get in touch with your senses and and really expand your instrument. Listen, David, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You know, for me, you know, like I said early on is I wouldn't be an actor if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be able to serve my actors here at the Manhattan Actors Studio if it wasn't for you. Oh, I, wouldn't, just... I wouldn't have this podcast called Hollywood Dreammaker if it wasn't for you because I watched you. I watched your career. I was inspired by you as a young boy watching you make a movie on my block and watching your career over the years. And it really shifted things for me where, you know, I could have went down that road, you know, down the streets and, you know, and then I chose to go, you know, to Hollywood and it changed my life and it gave me the dream. And I am living the dream. The fact that I got out of Brooklyn and that, you know, I, I've been blessed, you know, with my career, I check, you know, check the box. I, I got the dream, you know, now I want my destiny and my destiny is to be the greatest acting teacher, you know, around. I want to be, you know, you know, Lee Strasberg, Stella, and you know, I want, I want my name up there with them, you know, and and that's my goal is to really to to make as you know touch as many young artists' lives as possible, and you know, having this show and having someone like you share all those beautiful golden nuggets that you gave, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you. All right. I thank you, you truly from the bottom of my heart. You know, once this uh, COVID thing's over, I, I look forward to getting together. We're gonna to work together. We are working. I already got. I'm. I'm. In, I'm. I'm. We're, we're I'm gonna get it on done. The script right now. We're gonna. We're gonna work together. Me and you. You I'm look handsomer than ever. You, we're so gonna get you. something done. Okay, baby. All right, David. Take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And I'll see you soon. Okay. God bless. God bless. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.